faith in God is, is how can there be a God in light of all the suffering that's in the world? And so that's what I'm going to walk through this morning. Uh, there was a famous preacher. <clears throat> uh, some of you may have heard the name. Others, I, I hadn't. Uh, um, but he, he was in the, very famous in the 1940s and uh, 50s. His name was Charles Templeton. And Charles Templeton not only was a pastor and an evangelist that led crusades, he co-founded Youth for Christ. Youth for Christ is a very large uh, parachurch organization, and Billy Graham was involved in that <clears throat> as well. And it still exists, one of the largest uh, Christian organizations in the world, Youth for Christ. But <clears throat> at some point in the 1950s, he renounced Christianity. After, And this is what did it. He saw a picture in Life magazine. How many remember Life magazine? That was like the Internet of my day. <laughs> you know, it was powerful because the pictures, the pictures were so amazing. And it, you'd see these pictures and it was just a blow you away. And he saw, uh, pardon me, he saw a photograph of an African mother, <clears throat> a mother in Africa, holding her child. And the child had died because there was a drought and, uh, and starved to death. And, of course, we've seen these pictures of, of people... Uh, and starvation, and this little child that was dead, being held by a grieving mother, <clears throat> um, and uh, the child died for simply a lack of rain. And he wrote, he, this is Templeton's right words, he says, a loving God could not possibly be the author of the horrors we have been describing. Horrors that continue every day, have continued since time began and will continue as long as life exists. It is inconceivable, an inconceivable tale of suffering and death. And because the tale is fact, is in truth the history of the world, it is obvious that there cannot be a loving God. And so Templeton, who had a hugely successful ministry, resigned, renounced Christianity, <clears throat> and became a politician which he failed at. <laughs> and then he went into journalism. So, <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Philip, Philip Yancey was quoted in, in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, says that... Uh, uh, this question of suffering is not just an intellectual issue to be debated in sterile academic arenas. Okay? It's not just an intellectual It is an intellectual issue, but it's not just an intellectual issue. It's an intensely personal matter that can tie our emotions into knots and leave us uh, with spiritual vertigo, <clears throat> disoriented, frightened, and angry. Okay? And so this the issue of of suffering can leave us disoriented, can leave us frightened, and can leave us angry. <clears throat> and I think, uh, um, you know, we need to respond to it in an intellectual way. We need to address the academic nature of it, the logical aspect of it. And there are reasonable responses. But an academic response doesn't answer the question of the heart. Right? The fact that it stirs up an emotional reaction or response is actually good. It ought to. And that is exactly why the Christian's response <clears throat> is so powerful. The Christian response answers the intellectual problem 
but it goes further and provides an answer for the heart. And so I think that the Christian response to why there's suffering in the world is the only uh, answer that really satisfies both an intellectual uh, understanding as well as a heart or emotional understanding. The issue of evil and suffering, saints, is not something we should avoid. It's something we should embrace. All right? It really is. If you don't get that... We might as well just go have coffee or something, right? Uh, because we, you need to get to the place where when someone brings up suffering, when I'm talking to them about Jesus, I smile. Because I'm like, great. This is something that Christianity actually has an answer for. All right? <clears throat> and, it's a, and it's a valid question. Never invalidate that question. Because it's a valid question. In fact... Uh, e- even if you perceive it's being uh, used as a, as a defense, all right? even if it's being put up to skate the issue, you know, that they, they want to avoid personal responsibility so they bring up suffering, uh, even if that is the case, treat the question with utter respect because it is a valid question. It is a valid concern. And it's, it's actually so uh, integral to the message of the gospel that it's an incredible opportunity. <clears throat> Share, instead of demeaning it, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, embrace it and respond to it. Never, never accuse the person of just trying to avoid it. Share how you've dealt with the question, because you all have. If you're a rational person, if you have any emotion, if you've ever encountered suffering, you should have walked away and said, how can God allow this? And if you share that then you can share that you're on equal terms. And then I always say, you know, you know, really intelligent people for thousands of years have struggled with this question. You know, and we can learn from what they've discovered. You know? It's not like, you know what, everybody asks this question. Let's, let's, take a, let's look at it and see if there's a response. Uh, and, and if someone is serious about uh, discussing the issues of faith, <clears throat> they'll be open to it and gives you an opportunity. It's a question, really, that has all of humanity on the hook. You know, everyone struggles with this question. How can there be a God, an all-powerful God, that allows such suffering? And so it's, it's at the whole of humanity on the hook. So we're going to look at the problem in a logical manner, go through each one of the logical uh, steps, <clears throat> and try to bring it all together in 20 minutes. First of all, uh, is it logical to believe these five precepts or uh, statements. One, that God exists. Two, that God is all good. Three, God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And evil exists. Okay? So normally when someone brings up the question of suffering, they don't bring it up in that way. But that's really what they're asking. They're saying it's illogical to say that there is a God that's all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful, and existence of evil in the world that's not logical i can't believe in all of those being true at the same time and we know that there's evil and since evil is is you know we can prove that there's evil in the world very easily then it must mean that one of these other precepts are not true and if one of those are not true then really they're all not true and so you end up with just evil <laughs> because it's the one thing we know is true. 
So, <clears throat> we know that evil exists, suffering exists, then those other things must not exist. And that leads someone to Templeton's response when he said it's obvious that there cannot be a loving God. But Templeton's response is not logical right? or reasonable. It's not a reasonable response to the question of why there is suffering. It seems like it's logical, but it's not really logical. Right? Nor does it satisfy the cry of the heart. All right? So on both the intellectual and the emotional level, that answer is not satisfactory. Okay? It's not complete. Uh, it's miserable. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right. So, number one, God exists. How can uh, we, we, we can start with the assumption that evil exists. It's very easy to prove that. <clears throat> Somebody dies, you know, people get cancer, uh, you know, natural disaster, you name it, fill in the blank. Lots of evil in the world. So how can an, a, a God exist if there's evil? <clears throat> evil is actually not a proof against the existence of God. <clears throat> I actually find it as one of the primary proofs for his existence. Right? Now, there's lots of ways you can respond to these questions i'm just kind of narrowing it in, into my personal favorite because <laughs> i don't have time to do it. i could do a whole series in each one of these questions <clears throat> uh, evil is not a proof against the existence of god all right it just isn't all right and let me explain why <clears throat> augustine a famous christian theologian from years ago said this he said if there's no god why is there so much good in the world you know, if there if there's a God, why is there so much evil? OK, well, if there's no God, why is there so much good? I'll turn the question around. <clears throat> Kreft, Peter Kreft is a excellent uh, uh, theologian, uh, philosopher, really has <clears throat> written a lot of books on this this topic and apologetics. <clears throat> and in response to Templeton's conclusion, he writes this. He said, if Templeton, who rejected existence of God because he saw a child that died of starvation. If Templeton is right in responding to these events with outrage, that presupposes there is really a difference between good and evil. Okay, Templeton's response revealed that he had a, presupp a presupposition in his mind already that there's a difference between good and evil. The fact that he's using a standard to judge... Uh, a standard of good to judge evil, the fact that he's saying quite rightly that this horrible suffering isn't what ought to be means that he has a notion of what ought to be. Okay? You can't say something is wrong unless there's something that's right by which you judge something wrong. Does that make sense? Okay. And so <laughs> this means that he has a notion of what ought to be and that this notion corresponds to something real. It's not imaginary. It's so real that he, he based his life decision on it, all right? And that there is, therefore, a reality called the supreme good. He was making this decision based on a presupposition, this idea that there's something called the supreme good, and that is another name for God, okay? And so if you can, if you can lead someone to see that the existence of evil is actually a proof for the existence of of a standard of good, supreme good, well, what is that supreme good? That supreme good is God. All right? And so, acknowledging that there's evil demands 
there be an acknowledgement of good, and you have to answer, where did the good come from? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. If the universe is so bad, how on earth did human beings ever come to attribute it to the activity of a wise and good creator? Okay? In other words, the very presence of these ideas in our minds, that is, the idea of evil, thus of goodness and of God as the origin of the standard of goodness needs to be accounted for. And see, this is, when you think of proof, don't always think of it has to be material, like this piece of wood, okay? Proof can be logical. Ideas are proof, all right? And so this idea that there is a standard of good has to be accounted for, all right? And it happens to be universal, almost completely the one thing that everyone in the world agrees just about over all the centuries is that everything's screwed up all right (laughs) you know i've yet to read a book written about this i mean how can we all agree that it's all broken well because it is all right but we we know it's broken because there is a standard by which we can say this isn't right what is that standard that standard is god okay it's good good is God is good. <laughs> All right? And so we know what that standard is more clearly, but everyone has within themselves this idea. <clears throat> the cry for justice, the evil and meaningless suffering, whether it's the result of a person's activity or a volcano or a tsunami, the, the cry for justice, the evil and meaningless suffering is wrong, is actually a cry for God. And that's why you treat this question Uh, with validity, validate the question. Because underneath that question is a cry for justice, is a cry for a God, okay? And it's proof. It's proof in the hearts and mind of every person that things are not the way they ought to be. Something is fundamentally wrong, contrary to the way we are created. And that is proof. That is substantial proof. The Christian response to suffering is that it is wrong. It's not that suffering is right. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And it's wrong because it violates the person and the character of a loving God. And that resonates with our heart. Okay? It is wrong. You know, when people say, well, why doesn't God do something? I say, He is and He will. He has, He is, and He will. You want to be on His side when He brings it to completion. As believers, we believe that the universe was created by a loving God and therefore the primary ideal of existence. If if all of creation was was the result of a loving God, then the highest ideal in, in the universe should be love and is love. And that's what we believe. An atheist or an evolutionist believes that everything is the result of random chance. And so the highest ideal in that worldview would be that random chance is the primary ideal of life. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay, but random suffering is the problem. All right? It's not an answer. So getting out, God out of the picture doesn't answer the question. It actually is the question. Does that make sense? All right? To say, well, people just suffer randomly doesn't answer the intellectual question. Well, then why is everybody all upset about it? It doesn't answer the heart cry. All right? But the Christian response is that there is a God and He's upset about it. Ah. All right. <clears throat> Part two. How can an all good God? Ah, 
took ten minutes in part one. I'm just going to read my notes. Can I just do that? <laughs> if God exists and is all good, how can he allow such suffering? All right. Okay, so he exists. Is he all good? Maybe he's a tyrant. You ever thought about this? Maybe God actually enjoys our, you know, our suffering. You know, he's mean. <clears throat> uh, maybe that can answer the question. If I were to sit by and passively watch my child run out into a street when I saw a car coming and I had the ability to run and grab the child or at least yell at the child and didn't, okay, if I had the ability to prevent it and didn't, I would be evil. Would we agree to that? I'd be a monster, right? Something would be wrong with me. Yet God, who can do miracles, constantly allows horrible evils to happen and does not prevent them. Therefore, God must be evil. Does that satisfy your heart? <laughs> That's not true. Okay? The, the, the things that, that apply to me don't necessarily apply to God. All right? <clears throat> and it's not true on many levels. I'm going to give you some reasons why. God is concerned with the goodness of every individual and the whole universe at the same time. All right? Equally. He's equally concerned about the goodness toward each and every individual, all six billion plus on planet Earth, all of the people who lived in the past, and all of the people who live in the future, and all of the planets and everything else. If God prevented evil and suffering, if God prevented evil and suffering, then he, he would be changing the very nature of the universe. Listen, every time you use force to prevent evil, you take away freedom. All right? To prevent all evil, you must remove all freedom and reduce people to puppets. And that would not be good. How can a good God allow suffering and evil? All right? It's because force removes freedom. If you use force to prevent evil, it removes freedom. If you prevent all evil, you must remove all freedom. And therefore, you reduce people to puppets. And that's not good. Dentists, athletic trainers, teachers, parents all know that sometimes good is not to be kind. The prophetic word that came forward this morning. The prophet, the, what, what Anthony shared. Scars <laughs> on Jesus' hand. It wasn't kind. But it was good. Some, sometimes good is not kind. Certainly there are times when God allows suffering and deprives us of lesser good, the lesser good of pleasure, in order to help us toward the greater good of moral and spiritual growth. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 3. It says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Remember what the word tribulation means. Being ground into dust. Okay? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because of the love of God. Underneath it is love that has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, people who bring up this objection that God must not be good because He allows suffering want to reduce God to a comic book character. All right? They don't want God, they want Superman. They want Superman to swoosh in 
and rescue people just before the consequence of their error or the error or evil of someone else or when danger is present. Okay, But what would the world look like if that's what happened? It would not be good. It really would not be good. If you could do whatever you want and just at the nick of time, Superman would come in and rescue you. You'd end up being, we'd all be infantile, selfish. Not, we would not understand morality. We would, not, we would be immature and God desires maturity. God is good, but he did not create evil. He did create the possibility of evil and suffering. And there's a huge difference, all right? Only with the possibility of choosing wrong can there be the opportunity to choose right. You can't respond right unless you have the opportunity or the possibility of choosing wrong. Only where there can be rejection can there be acceptance. Only where there can be hate can there be love. And God's purpose, His purpose in the universe and creating the human race is to create a people who freely enter into a relationship of love with Him. The end goal, uh, <clears throat> God's end goal, God's purpose and is, is to obtain a bride. Okay? A people that He's in covenantal relationship of love. And God created a universe where people could and do reject His marriage proposal. And that's the source of evil and suffering and the breakdown. Does that make sense? Okay, so God can be good and it's evil. How can God be all-knowing or all-wise? Certainly an all-knowing God could have created a universe where there would not be such suffering. Certainly He would know how to prevent such evils. The response is, <clears throat> if there is a God then, and He is infinitely wiser... Okay, if there is a God, it's, it's likely, it's presumable that he is infinitely greater than mankind, infinitely wiser uh, than humans. Uh, could we agree that the difference between the wisdom of God uh, is, is greater than the difference between the wisdom of an adult and a child? Could, could we agree that it is at least intellectually possible that the, the wisdom, the knowledge of God is greater than that of a scientist, Einstein, and a worm? Yeah, and probably much more than that, all right? <clears throat> okay. And so, having that, if God exists and He's infinitely wiser than us, God, if He's all-wise, knows not only the present but the future. He knows not only the present good and evil, but the future good and evil. If His wisdom vastly exceeds ours, it is at least possible even probable that a loving God could deliberately tolerate horrible things like starvation because He foresees that in the long run more people will be better and happier than if He miraculously intervened or if He created a world where that was not possible. All right? And you can say, how could more people be happier? Well, it goes back to the issue of goodness. If He took out the opportunity to choose right if he takes out the opportunity for evil to exist, then it removes the opportunity for good to for for love to exist, and people will be eternally happier in a covenantal love relationship with God. But in order for that to be possible, there has to be. God understands this clearly. 
There has to be the opportunity for suffering. Does that make sense? God has already shown. So, so this idea that evil and suffering actually can turn out for the greater good. Is this true? Yes. The worst thing that could ever happen has been proven. The worst thing that could ever happen <clears throat> produced the best thing that ever happened. Ken knows where I'm going. <laughs> the death of God Himself, Jesus Christ dying, the one person in all of human history who committed no sin and truly deserved no evil or suffering, took upon Himself the suffering of the whole of mankind. When Christ hung on the cross, beaten and bloodied, okay, people stood there, no one saw anything good could ever result from it. His disciples went and hid Yet God foresaw that the result would be more, that the result would be the opening of heaven to human beings, to every human being. So the worst tragedy, Christ's crucifixion on the cross, his, his, his death, <clears throat> the worst tragedy in human history brought about the most glorious event in history. And if it happened there, if the ultimate evil can result in the ultimate good, it can happen elsewhere even in our own lives. Listen to this. I'm quoting most of this. All right? According to the Bible, God defeated the devil, the enemy of God and mankind, by allowing the only true innocent person who ever lived to suffer homelessness, hunger, thirst, hatred, false accusation, wrongful imprisonment, rejection by everyone, beating, and finally the wrongful death, uh, execution by crucifixion. All right? Perhaps, this is a quote, perhaps this is not a freak occurrence, but a paradigm of the human situation. Perhaps Jesus is actually a paradigm for the human situation. Hmm. Maybe that's what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. That when we bleed and when we suffer as Christ did, maybe the same thing is happening. Maybe this is God's way of defeating evil and defeating the devil. God... Jesus did it big picture. We walk. Paul said that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings so that I may attain the fellowship of his resurrection. This does not in any way remove the possibility or opportunity for Christians to defeat the enemy in an even more triumphant way through miraculous power to heal the sick and raise the dead. All right? And a lot of people get stuck here. We can believe in the supernatural healing and raising of the dead. This merely gives us a framework to see the value in the proper place of suffering. Actually, I think it was, I forget who it was, it was Bill Johnson or Chris Vallett or one of those guys, you know, says, hey, listen, we have to keep in mind when someone gets miraculously healed after being uh, suffering for 17 years, you know, we rejoice in the healing, but don't demean them for suffering for 17 years. We have to have a value uh, of suffering and still embrace the value and the belief that God can heal suffering. It doesn't say God caused the suffering. Jesus' suffering, let me put it this way. Uh, The suffering of Christ on the cross was not minimized or marginalized by His resurrection. Kathy got it. (laughs) The suffering of Christ on the cross was not minimalized or marginalized by His resurrection. Okay, so healing, raising from the dead, is resurrection power. Sickness and opposition and tragedy is suffering. Okay? Now, we can embrace both because Christ embraced both. 
So the, the question is, how can an all-knowing, all-wise God uh, allow suffering? Is because his wisdom is so infinitely better, and he understands that suffering can actually produce the greatest good to the individual, as well as for all of mankind. <clears throat> God did create a world without suffering, without hard labor, without natural disaster, without death. It was called Eden. In our foolishness and wickedness, we destroyed the wisdom of God. Don't blame Him. Alright? What people really want is heaven. Without Lord. But what you do is you say, yeah, that longing in your heart is valid. And there's a way to it. Okay, part number four. God is all-powerful. <clears throat> Perhaps God is not powerful enough to prevent suffering. Maybe He's good. Maybe He exists. Maybe he's really smart, but he's not, he doesn't have quite enough power. <clears throat> That's what the response of a pagan or a pantheist. That there's actually a whole bunch of gods. And they're all fighting. We're caught up in the middle of them. But a powerless god is not really a god at all. Okay? It's barely different than the atheist who denies the existence of God or the agnostic who says if there is a god, he's on vacation and we're left to our own. All right? <clears throat> so... <clears throat> I always like to say this. Agnostic, if I remember correctly, is the Greek word for without knowledge. All right? It's interesting <clears throat> that they didn't choose the Latin word for the title of that belief system because it, the Latin word is ignoramus. <clears throat> Got that from Ravi Zacharias. Can, God can be all-powerful and yet still limited. Okay, God can be all-powerful and yet still limited. What do we mean by this? He's all-powerful means that he can do everything that is possible. Meaningful has meaning. Everything that makes sense. God cannot make himself cease to exist. Okay? He cannot make good evil. God cannot violate himself. If he did, he would not be God. Therefore, God, therefore he cannot violate his goodness. He cannot violate his wisdom. And he cannot violate his existence. All right. And so it would be because he's all powerful, he can't do those things precisely because God is all powerful. He can't do some things. God can't make a mistake. OK, that would be a violation of his omniscience, his all, all knowing. All right. One such mistake would be to create a self-contradiction like two plus two equals five or a round square. It is a self-contradiction. It is not possible to have a world in which there is free will and the will to love and no possibility of moral evil and the consequence of suffering. He's all-powerful, but he's limited. Because he's all-powerful, he can't do something that contradicts his very nature. All right? And his nature is love. And with love, there is freedom. God could have filled the world with animals, but he didn't want pets. Yeah. He, well, he actually, actually, he must love pets because he's got a lot of them. <laughs> There's more pets than he has humans. All right. He wanted something else. He wanted a bride. All right. He wanted someone to have a love relationship. And that requires a response. But God, but certainly there must be some point <clears throat> at which he intervenes. How could God, I mean, the tsunami a few years ago wiped out. 250,000. You know, and, and we're, we get all upset three, 
2,000 some hundred, less than 3,000 people died in the Twin Towers. That was a tragedy, you know. Or a few thousand people die in Katrina. And that's a tragedy. But listen, in one day, that was it, the day after Christmas, <clears throat> a quarter of a million people died in a tsunami. We can't even understand what, what that is. <clears throat> and you say, you know, so how could a loving God allow those 250,000 people to die? And, I, and the response to that is, okay, well, you know, if we're going to put a number on it, Let's talk about the number. Would it be okay if there was only 200,000? All right? So, <clears throat> so if it's up to 200,000, it's okay for an all-powerful God not to intervene. But if it's over 200,000, then God, no, no, that's too much. How about 2,000? Is 2,000 okay? You know where I'm going with this? You know? wonder if you're number 1,999. And your child is with you, then 2,000 is too many. All right? So, whenever you try to fix a number on when God should intervene, it makes no sense. Either God is going to treat everyone fairly and intervene and, and swoosh in like Superman, or He's going to allow the world to operate in the way that He created it, that demands a response. That's motivated out of love. <clears throat> God could create a world without suffering, and He did. And we ruined it. And now we're living the consequences. And the consequences are both moral evil when someone steals from you and natural evil because it's the breakdown of the world system. And so an earthquake or a volcano is really connected to the same problem. <clears throat> All right, finally, the most powerful response to suffering and evil, what uh, Lee Strobel brought up, is that God does not shy away from suffering and evil. He confronts it on every level. He embraces it. People ask me, where was God when those 250,000 people died in the tsunami? I said He was right there with each and every one, feeling their pain more intensely than you or I ever will. That's where God was. He was weeping over them. All right? <clears throat> Isaiah speaks of Jesus as he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Listen, he is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows. This is Jesus Christ, God incarnate, as a man of sorrows, sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He took our pain, and we accused Him. Alright? He carries it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 speaks of Jesus. When we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. This is it. God doesn't skirt around the issue of suffering. He, he eats it. He embraces it. He took upon Himself. He took the brunt of the suffering for every person. For it was fitting for Him, for whom all things, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many son, sons to glory, by making the captain of their salvation perfect or complete through suffering. 
And so we have a God that doesn't deny suffering, but embraces suffering. Ultimately, to understand how an all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful God can tolerate suffering, you must look at Jesus, who took suffering upon himself. God's answer to the problem of suffering is that he came right down into it. He got his hands dirty. In fact, he was covered in blood. You know, so we don't, as Christians, we're not to get God off the hook concerning suffering because God put himself on the hook himself, which is the cross. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Bill's going to come up and share some test, uh, announcements. All right. So I do have a few announcements for you. If you're a guest with us today, thanks for coming. We just want to honor you, and we have a gift for you. Um, if you got a bulletin today and you tear off the connection card and take it to the connection counter here in the back, we'll give you that free gift just to say thanks and honor you for coming and joining us today. Um, so there are a few announcements. Um, the Autumn Fest is this coming Saturday from 3 to 8 at the Dillenbecks. There's more information available at the connection counter. And there are a few more things you can do to be a part. Um, if you forgot to bring candy or don't have time to run to the store, you can actually designate in the offering money because the church is going to buy some. So you can give toward the candy supply in that way. This is very important stuff here. Um, also, there's a need to get some tables and chairs transported from here an Agape Church to the site of the party. If you're able to do that, please see Lori Roy or Lori Dillon back after service. That'd be great during uh, intersection time. Also, remember there is a main course available. Bring a side or dessert to share. And I think that covers that. Um, we need some um, volunteers, some people with smiling faces and a willing heart to be with our kids during service. We need two Teachers for Rush, which is the older kids during second service, and one teacher for Kids Church, which is the younger but not toddler age kids during first service. It's an every other month commitment, so you're on a month, off a month. See Tara Shockley or write on your connection card if you're interested in that, and we will contact you that way. Uh, one more thing real quick. There's a life group that's collecting books to send to the Philippines for kids who don't have books. Um, it's a missionary, Marilyn, and I know. And um, you can give to that. There's info in the bulletin. But also, it costs a little over $100 to ship the books there. So if you want to write on your envelope and put in the offering that you're giving towards that, you can do that. Good? Good. Ushers, would you come forward? We're going to take our offering. And I'd just like to pray for that at this time. Father, thank you so much for your provision for your word this morning, God. It's just encouraging to hear about your character and who you are, how you made this world, how you made us to interact with you in it, Lord. Um, it's just cool. And so thanks for this offering. I pray that it would go forth and um, help accomplish the work that you're doing in this church, um, on the mission field with the missionaries we support and the other ministries that we support, and uh, for giving our kids candy, too, if that's what's being given. Lord, we just bless you. And use this as an act of worship, giving to you the first fruits of what we've earned and uh, you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So while the baskets are being passed, we have two quick um, testimonies. First, Tori's going to come and talk a little bit on the subject of prayer. Yeah, welcome her. Hey, everybody. All right, yeah, so that's what we just spent a whole month um, focusing on prayer, right? It was really awesome. And um, I went with some of the leaders here to Toronto 
and um, was really inspired by one of the pastors who in his church has um, a VIP prayer card. And what that means is um, so you're a very important person or people that you're praying for in your community, not just, you know, like your family on the other side of the country, but in your community who don't know Christ, to pray for them to come to know Christ and somebody you can invite to your church, you know, someone in the area. So I thought that was a great idea. And like we just, this is really great timing because we just spent so much time learning about prayer. Last week we learned, like we were reminded of the great need in our community. We just got equipped on how to answer some questions. So let's pray for opportunity, right? So um, these are at the connection counter. They're, um, they, you can't really see them, but they're this big. And uh, there's three spots on them. So if you have more than three people, take more than one card. And uh, you can keep it in your wallet, and we're probably going to encourage you to maybe pull them out here at church every once in a while, but pray. It's a little accountability right there that you can keep with you, and I'm going to do it, and there's a little spot where you can write when they come to Christ, so it's going to build some faith, right? All right, so have at it. (laughs) Thank you, Tori. So also Chip had something he wanted to share today. So Chip Hines. Yeah, welcome him. Thank you, sir. Um, one of the things that I've experienced in my life is is a lot of blessings, and um, I, I think it's important to recognize when you have blessings and, and to thank God for that, and, and it seems to me that that occurs, in my case, a lot. And even even yesterday, I kept pointing out blessings that occurred. Uh, anyway, uh, you, you might notice that I have a tremor. Um, my neurologist thinks that it might be Parkinson's disease. Uh, and I, I was um, talking to Cameron one day about it, and he says, if you had that prayed for, well, I might be like some of you. I'm a little bit reluctant to have people pray for me, but when uh, Fred Wright was here, I went up and I told him, you know, I have, uh, I have Parkinson's. Um, actually, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I went to, uh, I go to a neurologist, and he said, well, you either have Parkinson's or this other kind of tremor, and I can't remember the exact name of it. Uh, it may, may be called an essential tremor. Uh, anyway, he says it's, it's what uh, Catherine Hepburn had. And so uh, when Fred Wright was here, and one of the things I like about Fred Wright is is he believes in being thankful and and emphasizing thanksgiving and 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 I agree and and I think that one of the things that that I would emphasize to you is to be sure when something good happens to you thank the lord for that well so I got uh I went up to Fred and I and uh he prayed for me and I brought my security blanket when I always bring her along when when I'm a little bit uncomfortable. And uh, so over a course of a couple of years, well, one of the things that I need to tell you is there is no 
specific tests for Parkinson's. The only way they can tell whether you have Parkinson's or not is how you react to medication. Well, over the course of a couple of years, I've been on medication, and uh, it seemed like a lot of it. I mean, I was up to six of this one type of pill a day and three of another type of pill. Well, the following Tuesday after Fred prayed for me, I had an appointment with a neurologist. And he, uh, he said that my, uh, the way I was reacting to the medicine was kind of peculiar. And so he decided to, to take me off of it. And uh, I've been going off of it for about two weeks now. And today is the last day on it. I had one of each pill this morning. Uh, but the interesting thing about it is I have not noticed any significant difference from being on it to being off it, which uh, could mean that it's not Parkinson's. So anyway, whether it is or it isn't, I'm thankful to the Lord. You want to know how to make a, a college professor nervous? Just start praying for him. <laughs> Tip. <laughs> Father, we bless Chip, and we just thank you for the healing, God. And we thank you. Uh, we believe that there's healing. Father, this is not a change of diagnosis. There's been a change. And healing, Father, we pray that it would continue to heal and you would restore whatever the cause is that Chip would go from glory to glory. We proclaim healing on his body, Parkinson or whatever it is, in Jesus' name, be healed. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. That was great. I remember when he mentioned Parkinson's, I said, Chip, have you, have you, have you gotten prayer for that? And I saw a look in his eyes. I was like, I got him. <laughs> well, we have prayer available. If you have a healing need, and uh, come up and get prayer and be thankful. Or any need whatsoever, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, they can lead you in a prayer that you can settle that in your heart. On this side, we have prophetic ministry, people who have been trained to hear God's voice and share it with you what they feel God has to say for you. Otherwise, we have donuts and coffee in the family area. And uh, please stand, greet one another, tell somebody you're glad they're here. God bless you. You're dismissed.
Fierce that's drowned in stone What heights are 